0: Saul Khan may spend a lot of time drawing on blackboards, but he isn't your everyday school founder. He's the face and voice of Khan Academy, an online platform that offers free videos and activities to millions all over the world. In fact, learners have completed over 3.8 billion exercise problems on his platform. He's keynoted conferences like Q and been featured on The Colbert Report and
1: CNN. But recently, Khan added the title of School Founder to his list of accolades. The Khan Lab School, or KLS, is a brick-and-mortar private school housed on the first floor of the headquarters of Khan Academy in Mountain View, California. It was founded back in 2014 and is now attracting a lot of attention. 58 kids ranging in age from 5 to 13 currently attend the school.
0: Now, Ed Surge did its due diligence and checked out the school to get the inside scoop on whether it's truly innovative or merely a testing ground for the Khan Academy employees. But of course, we had to go to the man himself. Stay tuned for our exclusive interview with Saul Khan on his early days of college and how he's trying to shake up school design. I'm Mary Jo Matta.
1: And I'm Michael Winters. Welcome to the Ed Surge podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. Let's get started.
0: So you know what's been a buzzword this week? Redesign, that is classroom redesign. We've spotted a few blog posts recently that champion classroom redesign, and it looks like a trend. For example, USC's Rossier School of Education wants educators to think about how to bring more research and planning into classroom design and reach all students with their Inclusive Spaces campaign. Any educator and student can get involved. All you have to do is Google hashtag inclusive spaces for all the information. But wait, there's more. Architects from Karani, a socially minded design firm, explained this week on EdSurge that you don't need fancy technology to impact learning. In their article, they chronicle their work with the Imaginarium at Denver Public Schools, where they experimentally redesigned a room at Columbine Elementary. Low-cost designs turned out to have a big role in shaping students' use of technology.
1: Many teachers and companies complain about the IT department as a roadblock to progress in schools. And more and more over the past year, privacy has become a reason for IT to say no to new schools in the classroom. In an article this week, EdTech consultant and former Oakland Unified CTO Ji-Kin Chow analyzes the problem from every point of view, and he outlines some concrete steps that teachers and companies can take to make privacy easier for everyone. But Ji-Kin's biggest piece of advice, remember people, we're all in this together.
0: This one's for all of you entrepreneurs out there. If you're struggling to get users, marketing may be your big issue. MJ Lenane, a classroom teacher in Massachusetts, offered three insider tips this week on how you can make it easier for teachers to notice your product. Here's one big no-no. Complicated product names that sound like a song from Mary Poppins can really hurt your chances of being noticed. And for all you companies that love getting booths at a conference expo, stop, says Lenane. Visit sessions, panels, and have more one-on-one conversations instead of being trapped
1: behind that booth. It's that time of year again. Forbes magazine has released its 30 under 30 in education list. The winners were selected by an all-female panel, and the list features 31 honorees building learning tools and working across communities to make educational opportunities available to learners of all ages. Conspicuously absent from this list were, well, the educators. For the first time in at least the past three years, no educators or administrators were included in the honorees. So, we're hoping to see that change next year. But conspicuously on the list was my colleague and co host and my good friend, Mary Jo Matta. Congratulations, Mary Jo.
0: Thanks, Michael. Interesting note you know, we've actually asked the Forbes editorial team about that lack of educator listees in the past. And the sentiment is that Forbes is an industry publication that celebrates dollars and revenue as much as social impact, but still. A thirty under thirty list in education without a single educator? Nah, I don't know about that.
1: And hey, uh, speaking of dollars and revenue, it's time for kachings. <coughs> Degreed has raised a twenty one million dollars Series B round led by Jump Capital, with Signal Peak, Rethink Education, and Deborah Quazo, as well as existing investors also participating. This latest round follows closely on the heels of the company's seven million dollars Series A fundraise, which was closed back in April of two thousand and fifteen. Degreed allows students and adults to track and measure learning from all sources, including those outside the classroom. And Chapel Hill, North Carolina-based TerraData has raised $6 million from two undisclosed investors. The company's software manages the enrollment and registration of international students in higher education. Congratulations to both of these companies, as well as to everyone else who raised money this week.
0: Listeners, I'm coming to you from a coffee shop in San Francisco after having had a quite fascinating conversation with the man himself, Saul Kahn. Saul Kahn's lab school in Mountain View, California has slowly been gaining recognition, but is it really as innovative as people think? After paying a visit to the one-room schoolhouse to determine whether Saul could really open a successful school, I realized that I needed to get his take on it. After all, according to him, he had the idea to open a school long before he started his online platform Khan Academy. In fact, he delves into a variety of school models in his recent book, The One World Schoolhouse, more than I think anyone would have expected he would. But before I took on this interview, one note, I decided to get an idea of what you, the listeners, wanted to know. I was curious about the school and whether Saul wants to expand to other cities, But your questions had more to do with whether the school is legit or not. Are students actually learning? Is this just an easy way for Khan Academy employees to try out new products on children? I mean, what's the deal? After all, the lab school and Khan Academy are in the same building. The school's on the first floor, and the nonprofit's on the second floor. Let's see what the interview has. Enjoy this one-on-one interview with Khan Academy founder, Saul Khan.
2: I've all, you know, when, when I was sitting in some of those college classes, 300 person lecture halls, I've always, hey, you know, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And uh, there's got to be a more stimulating way, a way that will really engage me as a student at the time and, or, or my peers and, and the faculty. Um, but it wasn't that well formed back then. Uh, you know, part of, you know, my motivation for helping my cousins in those early days, 2004, 2005, uh, was I always enjoyed, um, I, I always enjoyed, tutoring or or thinking about this this problem of how do people learn and and what's the best way for them to learn and what is someone's potential. And I I saw in those early days, I mean, you've probably heard the story of Khan Academy a million times, but I saw over and over again with a lot of my cousins, a lot of them that uh, were getting a little bit disengaged in in kind of a traditional system uh, with with a little bit of, you know, focus and and direction and and mentorship. They were able to get back on track and get passionate uh, you know the same kids that uh, a couple of weeks ago people were thinking, you know, couldn't understand unit conversion was learning algebra and, and, and trigonometry And and so that that you know that got me hopeful and, and got me gave me actually even more conviction Actually, if my cousins were living in the same city as me, I would have started that school a lot earlier uh. um, and and, and uh, but then, you know, you know, the you know, Khan Academy came out of that. I started making resources for them, et cetera. Et cetera. Uh, But then you you fast forward to 2011, 2012, uh, through Khan Academy, and and once again, a lot of these ideas are not my ideas. These are old ideas, old ideas that that people kind of surfaced to me and to to the Khan Academy team, but it all kind of came together. Uh, When you think about things like, okay, on-demand video, what is its its utility, its purpose in the whole scheme of things? Well, hey, it can free up class time. It, It can... Make someone pull content as opposed to having it pushed onto them. It allows them to work at their own time and pace. Uh, if you if you create adaptive exercises, same thing. People can get practice feedback whenever they want to. What does that do? Well, it allows uh, uh, the classroom to, to be to be liberated. And you know, you know, some of those early pilots we did in a, in a bunch of classrooms, we saw that happening. We saw wow, the, uh, class time could be used more for dialogue, or for projects. I, I ran some summer camps uh, in two thousand seven, 2008, test that. Um, you know and, and, and so we, we started having this voice of well what could the what could what could education of the future look like not just online but the, the combination of uh, using potentially some online tools but a lot happening in the physical world um, and I wrote the book uh, the last third of the book was really you know the first third is kind of how we got to where we are mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a society the middle is how Khan Academy started the last third is where is this going and, and a lot of it has nothing to do with technology a lot of it is how, what are the credentials of the future? The transcript of the future? What could the classroom look like, uh, et cetera, et cetera? And uh, you know, I, I, and, it, and it really helped make things cohesive in my mind. And uh, ever since writing that, I've always, I've been kind of eager to to prove it. <laughs> and there's been many, many uh, schools that are already moving in, in that direction. Uh, but you know, I, I thought there would be something very powerful about uh, leveraging. Academy's tools, its reach, its platform to create a laboratory to, to push our thinking in some of these ideas for me to learn uh, personally and for our team to learn directly on, on you know the viability of some of these ideas or how do you tweak them and then leverage our platform to hopefully catalyze and spread spread them more uh, even though they're already you know happening to some degree.
0: Mm-hmm. And you. It's interesting you talking about how you know some of these things are happening elsewhere. I've been noticing a a, 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 a small but growing trend in the micro school movement. You know the alt schools of the world. Um, there's uh, Acton Academy down in Texas. Do you consider Con Lab School a micro school?
2: Well, I mean, depending on how you define it, it is right now. <laughs> if you visited it. it uh, it's- a little it's what 59 students right now as of today it would it would definitely be small uh i i don't know you know where where it might go i i think um there's nothing you know in our core principles we don't say it has to be a micro school i i you know if, if we could figure out the real estate and all of that, who knows, it might, it might grow, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping to grow to about 95 students next year, which is still making a micro school. But, mm-hmm. you know, if we can figure out other things, I don't, I don't see any reason why it has to stay at that size. So I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't label it as a micro school because I don't see it having to be that size. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it.
0: Okay. Um, so let's talk about actually, you know, the, the, the vision in the book and sort of where you've taken that, um, you know, because a lot of people write about, um, you know, the education practices today being pretty archaic. And, you know, I was a teacher and I I totally see that, that there are certain things that have not changed in 50 years that is shocking that they're the exact same. Um, But I'm curious, a couple of people asked me, you know, when they had heard that you were launching the lab school, like what qualifies you and your team as being able to launch a school having worked on Khan Academy for a number of years now. What enabled you to essentially, from the from literally the ground up, just create a school out of nothing? You know, just start it from the ground up. Yeah, no, no that's a good
2: question. I just thought about that a um, lot. <laughs> And who want to push the envelope, but we have a lot of experience, and, and, and you know, well, we don't have to reinvent the wheel over and over again. And you know, and it's been an incredible experience for me. You know, written, I wrote the book, but it's a whole other thing to experience it firsthand. Um, you know, obviously, I'm very familiar with what we do with Khan Academy and our students teaching, and that that whole side of thing. But the you know, the the the, the physicality and the the issues that surface when you actually have a physical school is, is, is you know, a, a, a whole other dimension, which I think has been very valuable, and I think it really helps it helps round out our our our, our knowledge of Khan Academy and, and vice versa. Um, in terms of what kind of enabled us to do it, I think yeah, I think if if if, if this was um, ten years ago and and you know I was just starting a school from scratch and Khan Academy wasn't a known entity. Uh, it would have been a lot harder. Um, I would have had to, you know, I probably would have had to start with my family and, mm-hmm. and even then it would have been a hard sell and, 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 uh, but, but I think because, you know, we have, we have built a, a, a certain credibility with some, with parents and uh, a lot of who, you know, kids use Khan Academy and, and uh, that helped us kind of, you know, on day one, even though, you know, two years ago the school was a, was a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, <laughs> have to have a group of kind of, you know, um, Forward-thinking family say, you know what, this this is exciting. We're willing to, to take the plunge, which is no small thing. Uh, but uh, I think that's that's what let us um, kind of have that start.
0: And and do you ever? I, I, I wonder if you get this question. Do people ever come up to you and, or, I don't know, ask you at conferences or whatnot and say, you know, I'm a little suspicious about a, a, a company or a nonprofit launching a school? I mean, what is your what would your response be to somebody asking you that question?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we, we are a, a not-for-profit, and all schools are not-for-profit. I mean, I, I, I do tend to sometimes get suspicious if it's a for-profit entity starting a school, what are the motivations, what are the... You know, it, 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 but and not and not that it's always negative. I think there's a lot of good work being done in the for-profit realm. But um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a you know, I, if 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 this school is wildly successful, it doesn't you know, uh, it, I don't I don't take a salary from the school. I don't own the school. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing really uh, uh, for for me to gain from this, or from our founding teachers and parents to gain from this, other than. Uh, you know, pushing, pushing our thinking, pushing others' thinking, hopefully providing a great education for these students, but uh, but also uh, providing a proof point for, for more folks and sharing it with other folks. And, uh, you, know, and, and you know, our ethos at Khan Academy and the lab school these are two different entities, um, has always been to share uh, what we're doing, be very open about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, whether we're talking about Khan Academy, and I don't own Khan Academy, either I do take a salary from Khan Academy. Uh, for the lab school itself, uh, you know, it's, it's a, um, yeah, it's, it's a not-for-profit just like, like any other, or just like many other schools.
0: And do, do the Khan Academy um, uh, employees, you know, test new products with students at the lab school? Like, what is the relationship between the people working at Khan Academy and the students and teachers at Khan Lab School?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a close relationship with, you know, kind of got upstairs, the last one downstairs. Uh, we have, um, you know, we have a, a kind of a mentorship program where uh, volunteers from upstairs who want to mentor uh, younger students get to, and, you know, that's really powerful for the students. They get to uh, learn about what, you know, some of the people upstairs are doing and, and get some of that you know, direct mentorship, so that's pretty powerful. Um, yes, uh, you know, when we want to, Test out certain ideas. Uh, sometimes we'll have our designers, our engineers, or our product managers go downstairs and uh, interview uh, students or teachers or, or parents. And uh, they don't do it only at the lab school; they, they they do it at many schools. But it's it's sometimes pretty easy to just go to downstairs. Uh, and also, it's the other way around. You know, I mean, we see uh, what tools the teachers want to use. I mean, they're definitely not only using Khan Academy; they're using many different things. And uh, I think that helps our team at Khan Academy have a have a good pulse on. Uh, where you know where teachers are and what tools seem to work and what tools aren't.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then and not
2: just tech tools, you know, even even physical tools or whatever, and saying, "Oh, that interesting." Thing.
0: Physical tools like what? Oh, I mean, it could be it, it,
2: it could be like a methodology around close reading or around having a community meeting twice a day. You know, I mean, just anything. It's mm-hmm. like, wow, that seems to really. You know give the students agency or give them a strong mindset is there some some aspect of that that somehow we can incorporate into Khan Academy in some way so you know we're always or, or, or tools they might be using for reading um, or, or whatever
0: Speaking of teachers and students, when I was when I was going through um, my tour, I, I talked to a number of them, and you know, they, I was asking them about the pros and the cons of both attending and working at the lab school. And um, the spirit of experimentation is something that seemed to fall in both categories. Everyone seemed relatively excited that um, the model was very flexible. That you know, it, it, there were there were. Um, there was a willingness to try new practices and and see what worked and what didn't. um, But that it was also hard to keep up sometimes with the changing schedule or changing um, um, methodologies uh, for both the teachers and the students. What are your thoughts about the pros and the cons of keeping up this air of experimentation in the school?
2: Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Uh, I'll, I'll add. I'll add. It, you know. Well, you know. I, I think it's it's. Um, you know, like anything in, a, in its early days. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pro and a con. There's a lot that's blue there. Uh, a lot that's changed. A lot that changes. A lot that you know we kind of iterate on. Um, yeah, and, and you know, I think I think the goal over the next you know near term is to stabilize it a little bit more. But uh, you know, if we stabilize it too much, I think that could turn into a con as well. Where if if. You know, if in five years the school's like, "Oh, we figured it all out. We're not going to change anything," but I think that's the whole purpose of a lab school. So, I, I, I would hope that there's always going to be like be that. But I, you know, the 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 rate and the it should definitely uh, moderate. <laughs> school gets a little bit more uh, gets, gets a little bit more roots in the ground. But uh, yeah, I think you know it's it's one of those things. And you know, I, I tell the team all the time that you know, one year in the moment both exciting and scary all the time, but when you, when you even, even you know, the school's been around for about a year and a half now, if you just look back over that year and a half, yeah, so on a, on a day-to-day basis, it can sometimes be stressful, and I mean, these teachers are doing heroic things, uh, but when you look at what's accomplished and what the, where the students are, and, um, you know, and this is just me even speaking as a parent, my son is, you know, a six-year-old there, um, it's, it's incredible what the teachers have accomplished. So mm-hmm. I think they all take satisfaction in that. Even though yes, it can be, it can be uh, you know sometimes in the middle of something, and something's not working or we're trying something new, that's not, um, it, it can be you know it, it, it can be a little stressful.
0: Mm-hmm. And and you know kind of going forward, um, what what are the future plans for for the lab school? Do you do you want to expand? Is it your hope that you know different students of varying socioeconomic backgrounds would be able to attend these kinds of schools. Like what it what would be your five and ten year plan for Conlab school in a perfect world?
2: Yeah, well, you know, the school itself, I mean, some of our direct plans is a very dear term. We you know, we we need to bring on a head of school. You know, when the school is very small, thirty thirty or so students, five or six faculty or staff, it was kind of a little self organizing, but even that led to some of the you know, some of the oh wait, wait, you know, if we're moving fast we need to make sure that we have, you know, we're very aligned, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we're going to be doing that. We're going to, uh, we have some 13-year-olds and, and we, uh, they're going to be 14 next year. So we're going to be growing a little bit into early high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plans are to, to really be, you know, through high school. And, and that really should hopefully prove uh, that this type of a model w- is, is good for, you know, not just young students, but but across the uh, the age spectrum. Uh, but, you know, as I said, the goal of this is not to just start another forward-thinking, progressive school. It's, it's to be a catalyst for broader change. So we've already started convening um, local leaders. Uh, you know, we just three weeks ago, we had a meeting of several local superintendents in this area. Really? And, and yeah, yeah. We, and, and, you know, and it was around, you know, what 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 is shareable? And not just from us to them, but also from them to us. A lot of them are doing some interesting environments in different ways. Um, and uh, and that was a really good conversation. We had a conversation. Uh, we about a month ago, we brought together a bunch of other leaders—some people from charter, public, private, superintendents, uh, philanthropists, uh, people from all different walks of life. Uh, of, but who are generally interested in, in kind of rethinking or reimagining what is possible in education? And you know, the charter for the meeting was how do how do we create a world? What needs to happen in a world for? Uh, 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 To to create a world that in 10 years, 10 million students are learning through, uh, you know, a mastery model that focuses on mindset, that focuses on student agency, that has an alternative transcript that's more focused on a portfolio, uh, more focused on kind of a narrative uh, versus, you know, traditional grades and GPA. And, yeah, and and I mean, you know, obviously to that, that it's, it's how do we get more students? You know, how does this happen everywhere? Public, private, charter schools, every neighborhood. Um. ConLab School itself, we, we already have five students who are on uh, some, you know, partial or full financial aid, uh, as best as we can. We're obviously a small school just getting off the ground, uh, uh, but, you know, we, we want it to represent the community that it's in. It's, you know, not going to be trivial to do that. We're going to have to find more philanthropic support to, mm-hmm. to pull that off. But mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely the hope. But there's all, you know, the, the bigger picture is for this to be a, a bigger catalyst, uh, more broadly.
0: I heard a rumor that you guys are looking to potentially expand in New York City. Is that is that correct?
2: Oh, well, whenever I meet anyone who, um, you know, some, like, some people visit the lab school and, and they say, wow, this is great. You know, is there a school in New York like this? And I've literally had that conversation. I was like, no, there's not. But there's like, you know, 10 people have asked. And... <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've had conversations like that. With people in New York, people in Boston, people in... Um, I mean, you know, and then once again, the whole point here is to share and spread. And if someone wants to start a, if there's a a superintendent who wants to start a public school like this in their district, if there's a charter school that wants to start like this, if there's a private school that wants to start like this, we say that's great, you know. uh, If we think that they are folks that are likely to to do good, uh, you know, start a credible school, we'll say, hey, come hang out with us for a little while. We'll share everything we know, what's worked, what's not worked, and and we we want you to we want more as many people as possible to to, to be thinking it'll along these lines. Mm
0: -hmm. Awesome. A huge thanks to Saul Khan for chatting with us this week.
1: Yeah, it seems like an interview with Mr. Khan himself is, is its like a rite of passage for EdTech podcasts. So we're glad that we've passed that test. <laughs> yep, we made
0: it just barely. <laughs> thanks also to G. Kin Chow and all of the other writers who contributed to
1: EdSurge this week. And a special thank you this week to one of our listeners, Jose Cardona. Jose pointed out that in our podcast summary of iNacle late last year, we. Could have done a better job signaling that our team members were providing commentary on the event rather than reporting on what happened there. Josue, we agree that we could have done better, and we're going to be more careful in the future.
0: And remember, if any of you have feedback for us on the show, just go ahead and let us know. Shoot us a note at feedback at edsurge.com.
1: And before we sign off, we've got one more thing, Mary Jo. I know we said it earlier, but we are so proud of you for making the 30 Under 30 list in education. Uh, you are a wonderful member of this team. I love working with you every day, and especially standing very close to you in this podcast booth. I wonder
0: if you'll be next, Michael. Let's see. How old are you right now?
1: I'm I'm under thirty. I got a couple more years All right, left. so you got
0: a little bit. I more do actually. Your I have
1: a small gift for you here, Major. So I'm just gonna. You ready? Uh huh. <laughs>
0: All of my dreams have come true. All of them.
1: 30 under 30 and a Diet Coke.
0: Many of you out there might not know this, and it's probably bad that I'm saying this on record, but I am addicted to Diet Coke. Everybody has one vice, and this is mine.
1: Don't tell them too much. I guess I shouldn't. (laughs)
0: And with that, I'm Mary Jo Matta. And
1: I'm Michael Winters. So we'll see you next week.
0: This is the Ed
2: Surge Podcast.